Pastor Xavier Reese and prioritizing our money biblically. Every penny you ever receive, I don't care whether you make a hundred a week, a thousand a week, ten thousand a week, you will have to give an account and I will have to give an account of every penny that has ever come into my hands since I was a Christian. What portion went to me? What portion went to the Lord? What portion went to people in need? How did I spend it? The scriptures are clear that we are to use it as a spiritual investment for the everlasting habitation, Luke 16, 9-11 says. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Jesus spoke about money nearly more than any other topic, and as a matter of fact, He often chose money as a measuring stick of a person's priorities. He could have used anything. How much a person reads their Bible, or the amount of time they spend in prayer, or how many people they lead to the Lord. Instead, Jesus chose money because what people do with their money reveals whether their priority is to serve God or not. And this is the simple truth that James wished to instruct us on in the fifth and final chapter of his epistle. Pastor Xavier begins with our text for today, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will lead your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Benjamin Franklin said, Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of its filling a vacuum, it makes one. If it satisfies one want, it doubles and trebles that want another way. And that is why the scriptures declare that better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures in trouble therewith, Proverbs 15, 16. This morning we want to study what James has to say about the rich and their money. There are four sins that James mentions regarding the rich. The first is found in verses 2 and 3, the amassing of wealth. The second, in verse 4, the exploiting of the poor. The third, in verse 5, the extravagance of life. And the last and fourth is the abuse of the poor in verse 6. The opening verse provides the context of rebuke and judgment regarding these rich individuals. The rich have been mentioned throughout his epistle. If you recall in chapter 1, verse 10, the rich were exhorted to be humble, for they die like every other man, even the poor. They cannot escape it. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, James told us that the rich tried to impress 
intimidate, and abuse the poor by their status. And sometimes Christians are carried away to the sin of partiality. In chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, James declared to us that the rich are very self-willed. These are businessmen. They make their plans, their projections, their strategies apart from seeking God. They live as if God does not exist. Now, in the days of James and Paul in the New Testament, there was no middle class. And so you have James centering here on the rich or the poor, and you find this throughout the scriptures. Now, some believe that the rich that are referred to here in chapter 5 are non-believing Jews. But as we have gone through the epistle, I have declared that I believe that the rich are really believers. I think from internal evidence, we cannot find anything that would lead us to conclude that these are non-believers. In the opening of the epistle, James says that he addresses the epistle to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. They're believing Jews. Eighteen times through the epistle, the word brethren is used. So from internal evidence, I take it to refer to believing Christians who are wealthy and rich. We can make a secondary application to the non-believer. But I believe that the believer is the application. The word weep and howl in the first verse is a Hebraic form of the Old Testament which depicts pain and sorrow and suffering. Here in reference to judgment of the rich by God. You find it in Isaiah, you find it in Joel, you find it in many of the prophets. The word howl is an interesting word. It means to shriek or to fear. In the context, it would have to deal with the judgment before God. Now the reason for their howling and their weeping is also given to us. For your miseries, it means wretchedness or calamity. It's used two times in the New Testament. Once here, the other one in Romans 3.16 where it speaks of the non-believer whose end is destruction and their lives are full of misery. And so really James is proclaiming judgment, rebuking these rich individuals. For the phrase coming upon you implies both now and future. They were already in effect receiving some of the repercussions and the consequences of their actions. Listen to what um, Paul tells Timothy regarding riches in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 through 11. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations... And a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, don't miss this, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Paul tells Timothy four important things about money. First, money has a destructive potential. Money has a power to destroy our lives. You and I are not exempt from this. Secondly, money is amoral. It's neither good nor bad in itself. It's the love of money that is evil. 
That compulsion to possess, that compulsion to have, third money can bring pain and sorrow and thus most often. And fourthly, money is not to possess the believer, though the believer can possess money. I think that's good advice. Now, by no stretch of the imagination are we going to try to grab and understand the full gamut of riches and wealth in this morning's study. We've done many of studies on that. But we want to center on the context of these verses those which James is really exposing regarding the rich here. Because I think that as we study them, you will see that times have really not changed because man has not changed. He is still sinful and greedy. The proverb says that hell and destruction are never full and neither are the eyes of man ever satisfied. It's a vacuum. It just doesn't fill. The first sin of the rich that James mentioned is the amassing of wealth in verse 2 and 3. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Riches and wealth were determined by three things in the Middle East and at that time. They consisted in crops, garments, and precious metals. By this, men knew that you were wealthy. They weren't into the stock market. They weren't into investments of uh, the sort that we are into. Now the wealth that is condemned here is that of hoarding, not that of possessing. Because every believer is a steward and must give an account of all that God gives to him. Remember that. All that God will ever give to you and myself is not ours. One of the greatest dangers to think that because I work and I get a check that it's mine comes from God. It's not your own. So the wealth condemned is that of hoarding, not that of possessing. That which is non-productive, that which is wasted. It's implied by the word corrupted in verse 2. It is a word that is used for crops, produce. It means to rot, to decay. It refers to having those crops beyond the date and the durability of it being consumed, it rots, it wastes. The individual who just desires to pile up just to declare his wealth, he cannot even consume it, neither does he want anybody else to consume it. If I can't have it, nobody else will. This is the individual he's speaking about. The reference to garments being moth-eaten, implies the individual that has so much clothing that he never gets around to being able to wear all. And by the time he comes to the next one, it's moth-eaten, which implies that it's been there for a long time. And yet there are others who don't have a coat on their back. Now, I don't think James would speak like this to an unbeliever. It would be unfair to speak to him like this. For they do not have the ability to do what... God calls us to do. He's speaking to believers. The reference to silver and gold corroding or literally rusting 
The Bible critics have a field. They say, see, gold doesn't rust. The Bible's wrong. Well, he's using it in a metaphor to imply that it is idle. It is neither being used for himself or for others. The illustration is one built upon another. And so this implies of gold and silver which just simply lies around in the storehouse while others are perishing, while there are needs. You have more than your life could desire or your life could need. Interesting that he says that these will witness against those individuals and they will eat their flesh like fire in the day of judgment. All they are doing is storing up judgment against themselves in that day. Now, their sin is magnified by two little words. They have heaped up treasures in the last days. Last days. This magnifies their sin. The last day speaks of the church age, the age of grace, the age that began with Christ's first coming and will end with Christ's coming for the church in the rapture. It is an age that we are responsible to sow that we might reap one day. It is an age that we are to be seeing the world lost. It is an age that we are to see ourselves as being citizens of heaven, not of earth. It is an age that we are to see ourselves as pilgrims and sojourners, not squatters. Therefore, their sin is magnified. Knowing that Jesus could come back at any time, knowing that there are lost people, they hoard their wealth. This magnifies their sin. This is beautifully illustrated by Luke in chapter 12 and the rich fool. Remember that he had all that produce and everything. He says, my barns are filled. What should I do? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down, build bigger ones and fill them up. And I will take my life of ease. But remember, read that well. He said to himself, he didn't talk to God. Let me propose that when you talk to yourself instead of to God, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And you're always going to tell yourself what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. Maybe that's why we don't talk to God so often. The principle is emphasized in that parable. It is that we make a spiritual investment, eternal habitation. All that God gives to us there is nothing wrong to use it for our needs. But be careful that you don't use any of it for the purposes that God has called you to. It's your privilege to give to God what belongs to Him. And so these individuals were hoarding. Now we are called to be stewards of all that God has given to us and we will be accountable. That steward in Luke 16, the master heard that he was being dishonored. He says, give account of your stewardship. Every penny you ever receive. I don't care whether you make 100 a week, 1,000 a week, 5,000 a week, 10,000 a week. 
You will have to give an account and I will have to give an account of every penny that has ever come into my hands since I was a Christian. How I spend it, what I did with it. What portion went to me? What portion went to the Lord? What portion went to people in need? How did I spend it? Nobody will stand with me in the judgment day. I will stand there all by myself. The scriptures are clear that we are to use it as a spiritual investment for the everlasting habitation, Luke 16, 9 through 11 says. After chapter 16, that parable with the steward was poor in terms of everlasting habitation, what follows? The story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, tremendous investor in the world. He knew the market of the day. But he was in poverty of spiritual investment. Lazarus with sores. The dogs had to relieve him of his pain by licking him. Yet he was rich in God. Now you tell me who was the wise investor. Now lest you think that we are to give everything, the Bible never teaches that. The Bible says that you're to provide for your own house. If you don't provide for your own house, you're worse than an unbeliever. I shudder when I run across so many Christians who are irresponsible to provide for their wives and their children. And they spiritualize as God has called me to minister. Then if he has, then he will provide for your means. And if not, then you work. Be careful of those who fleece the body, those who are beggars, those who drop hints. At the same time, be sensitive that God will speak to your heart. Lest you be callous, cold, and self-righteous and insensitive and have nothing else in view but yourself. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where rust and moth does corrupt them, but store them in heaven. He says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Where's your heart? Is it in a house, in a car, in a profession, in a bank account, in a keel, in a naira, in a tax shelter annuity? Where is your heart? You see, we don't have to be rich to really apply this to our life. For really, we're all rich. We're all richer than somebody else. It just depends who you're comparing yourself to. Secondly, the rich were exploiting the poor in verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The rich were robbing the poor by their daily wages and getting richer. This was condemned both in the law and the prophets. Let me read you a little bit of the law. Just jot these down and listen to me. In Leviticus chapter 19... Verse 13, it says, You shall not defraud your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You see, the poor depended on those wages at the end of the day. And if you as, a, as an employer kept them back, he couldn't feed himself or his family that day. The law condemned it. Also in Deuteronomy 24, 
verse 14 and 15. It says, You shall not oppress the hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down upon it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it. Listen, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. What does James say? And they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You see, Jesus condemned this also. He illustrates this by the principle of the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, verse 1 through 16. Remember, they were waiting in the market. They were idle. He went out there. He says, you want to work? Come out. I'll pay you such amount. And throughout the day, he, he hired different individuals. And then at the end of the day, he told them, now pay them from the last to the first. And they each received the same amount. And when the last individual received it and he was the first and worked the longest, he got upset. He says, why should I receive the same as they? I work more. He says, did I not covenant with you for a certain amount? And did you not agree? Then why do you think I am doing evil when evil is really in you? And he showed there that daily the wages were to be given. Paul reminds masters in Ephesians 6, 9 and also Colossians 4, 1 about masters being just to their servants, not robbing them. Let's make that today contemporary. Employers and employees. Are you an employer? How do you treat your employees? Do you try to get by with the least you can? Do you make it hard for them to live? Luke 10, 17, 1 Timothy 5, 18 says that the laborer is worthy of his wages. It isn't some puny little individual listening to their cry. It is the Lord of hosts. A phrase that is used throughout the Old Testament. This is a transliteration into the Greek. Every time you use that phrase and find it in the Old Testament, and look it up when you go home. Look and see when it's found the first time and every time it's found. It is used with the reference to the powerful individual who heads the armies of heaven, namely God. It is the very same phrase by which David came out to Goliath says, you come unto me with a spear and, 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 a, and, a, and a sword, but I come unto you in the name of the Lord of hosts of Israel who commands the armies of Israel. This is the very same God who hears her cry. God at times seems that he overlooks some of the injustice and unfairness that goes on in life. At least that's what the psalmist in Psalm 73 thought. And he almost concluded that he had cleansed his hands in vain until he went into the sanctuary of God. He went to prayer. And then he said, I was as a beast before you. Who do I have in heaven but you? Who do I desire on earth beside you? Their feet are like on slippery places. They will nigh slip and destruction will come upon them suddenly. Pastor Xavier Reese, closing with just one of the many applications Scripture has for us regarding the stewardship of money, today on Simple Truths. We'll be returning for the conclusion of this important study of James chapter 5 next time. 
But if you've missed any part of today's message, you can hear it from beginning to end again anytime online. Just look for today's date when you click on the radio listings link when you log on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. Or if you prefer, you can always pick up your own copy on CD. And the title you want to ask for is simply Sins of the Rich. They're available, as always, for just $4. And this might be a helpful study to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is Sins of the Rich. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com